you don't know me, my name is Tamar Schrader, and uh, I'm married to this piece of eye candy right here in the front row, Peter Schrader. Hon, he just, he looks really nice today, and I just, I'd like you to just stand, do a little twirl forever. <laughs> this morning when he was getting ready, I was like, wait, you're not, you're not emceeing today, right? You're not emceeing or preaching, and like, you're wasting a really good outfit on just sitting in the front row. So I was like, so I'm going to highlight you as my eye candy in the front row. Oh, it's adorable. <laughs> anyway, okay. So that's not why you came here. You didn't come here to look at Pete. Um, you came here probably to hear about Jesus. Um, you might have come because you just are tired. And that's actually something we're, we're going through our devotional, the Red Letter Challenge this week. And it's all on being. And he kind of goes through these different practices of following Jesus, ones that you probably know most of them. We hardly ever do them all, actually, consistently. But he begins the, this week with this verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's say that again. I want, to say, I want to say it to myself. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that could be, man, you're like a young mom. You're, you know, like these, I love this service, man. It's so rowdy. It's so, you just never know what's going to happen in this service. But maybe you're a mom of young kids, and you're literally chasing them around, and you're just physically exhausted. You could be exhausted because your body has sickness or disease and you're weary from that. You could be maybe like anyone else, weary and burdened from the things that are going on in our world. <laughs> maybe you've experienced personal tragedy, but the invitation is always the same with Jesus. Come to me and I will give you rest. And I love that about Jesus. And it's not rest like, oh, spa day. It's peace. Peace peace inside of our souls, peace inside of our spirits where we can go through things that other people around us should be like, you should be breaking apart. You should be denying God. And we can say, but I've, I've got him and I'm with him. So I'm not afraid. I'm not anxious. I'm not fearful. My spirit is at rest. The author, I don't know how to say the last name, <laughs> the author of the Red Letter devotional, Zach Good old Zach. He says, truly following Jesus means both being with Jesus and doing the thing he asks. Before we do what Christ asks us to do, we need to be with him. The healthiest way to follow Christ and seek him first is for our doing to flow out of our being. Our doing flows out of who we are and who we become when we spend time with Christ. So we're going to go through some of these practices today that he goes through um, each day in, in the book. And, and I want you to realize that as we're going through these, these are not a checklist. You are not supposed to sit there and go, oh, got that one. Oh, got that one. I'm a pretty good Christian. Or, oh, man, I never do that one. Or I, I didn't even, I have never done that one. And look at what a bad Christian I am. These are practices. These are things that we try to practice and in doing so, we experience more of God. So um, the different ways of being with God, um, being with the words of God, being 
in conversation with God, being in awe of God, being alone with God, being set apart to God, being glad with God, and being at rest with God. Now, the other thing is that um, you never mature out of these practices. So this is not just for someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, and they're like, man, how could I get to know Jesus better? Um, or if you're you know, a new believer, no, this is for the person who has followed Jesus the longest in the room. We never mature out of these practices. So as we go through these today, I just want you to ask the Spirit of God, not in a condemning way, but what keeps me Spirit of God, what keeps me from being with you in this way? Because there's often lies that we believe. We have doubts. We have cynicism that gets in the way. We might have whole mindsets and belief systems from the time that we were a kid that we're still carrying around today. So that when we go through these things, you might be like, ugh, I have an aversion to that one. Spirit of God, would you show us today what keeps us from being with you in this way? But Spirit of God, would you also show us how much you desire to be with us? The Spirit of God, he wants to show you how much he longs to be with you, to spend time with you. Not just so he can tell you all the things you're doing wrong. Because he wants you to know him. He wants to give you power to live a spirit-led life, a different kind of lifestyle. So let's start with being with the word of God. Now, in Matthew 4.4, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's saying this to Satan, or the accuser, when he's being tempted in the wilderness. So most of the time when we think of the Word of God, we think of the Bible. Why should I, I read the Bible? Well, the Bible reveals who God is. The Bible reveals God's character and his nature. The Bible is a story of his relationship with his people from the beginning of time. And it also tells us, because we can know what God's character and nature is, but it also tells us what he's going to do. And sometimes I think about that. So many of us run ahead of God and we'll start to do something without even actually knowing what he said first. So how can we know what he said to do if we don't know what he said? <laughs> that is why we get into the Bible. Because we want to know what did God say? How did he say to do it? Yes, but what is he like? When I get tired of my Bible reading plan, maybe it feels dry, I go back to the Gospels. I go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. New believers, go to John. There's so many times where we need to remember the character and nature of who Jesus is and to spend some time with the words of Jesus, the, the words that he actually spoke. So what keeps you from being with God in your Bible? Is it that you feel like you won't understand it or it's a set of rules or it's outdated or it's relevant one of the cool things about the Word of God that we have right now is in, you know, a Bible, a compiled Bible, is we can get up in the morning with our coffee or our tea and, you know, slide a little candle and spend some time with Jesus and have a devotional. But the Bible was meant, and yes, God will speak to you alone, but the Bible was meant to be read in community. 
The Bible was meant to be understood in community. So if you're like, oh, yeah, I've got that down. I, I read the Bible every day. Great. Why, why don't you get into a Bible study? Whether you're leading it, you're a part of it, maybe take a Bible college course. Um, we here at the church, Jan Stahl is constantly leading Bible studies. Bo Pastor Bob is constantly leading Bible studies. We have Bill Scheidler and a ton of other people. But get into a group or maybe even just share what God showed you in your personal time with somebody else. Let them know what God showed you and ask them what God is showing them. There's a promise uh, if we choose to be with the words of God. Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now that doesn't just mean if you just read your Bible all the time. You know, the word is also Jesus. The word of God is Jesus. And he says to abide in him, to remain in him, to stay in him and be present, to live there, to dwell. It also could mean to cling to, cling to Jesus, cling to his words, the words that we have written down in red letters and the words that he speaks to you when you're listening and you're with him. Now, if we spend time with the words of God, we can't help but desire more of a relationship with him. So the next way of being with God is being in conversation with God. Jesus told his disciples, they asked him, how should we pray? And he, in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We need bread for today. We need life for today and words for today. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, whether you actually pray that prayer, the, those exact words every day or not, or some version of it, um, doesn't really matter. But there are, there's some truths to be found in there that Jesus was telling us. These are some principles of how you can pray. But one of the things I love is that he begins it with our Father. Our Father. And a lot of us have earthly relationships with our fathers where they were um, not good, they were maybe absent, um, maybe they died when we were young, or we had abusive relationships with our fathers, or maybe they were loving but maybe just distant emotionally or harsh or critical. And God's saying, when you come to me, come to me like I'm your father. But know that I'm not your earthly father, I'm your father in heaven. I want to speak identity into you. That's what good fathers do. I want to tell you the principles, the you know, wisdom for your life. That's what good fathers do. So even if you have your own hang up with what a father means, God wants to relate to you as the perfect parent, a loving father. One of the words in the Bible for that is Abba. And the idea there is that we are his children, we're the children of God, and we get to approach him Abba means Papa. When I was little, I called my dad Papa. And when I hear other kids doing that, I love it. Because it, it's a term of endearment. You don't usually call someone, well, maybe you did, but usually you don't call someone Papa if, you, you know, if they're harsh and critical. I mean, you usually call them you know, maybe Father. But um, he wants us to approach him as a good and loving parent. Now, I know sometimes we think prayer is, okay, well, i got to set aside an hour to pray today. 
and I have to use these certain words, and I have to have my Bible out, and I have to have worship music playing, but Zach, good old Zach, says prayer is about being in relationship with God, and we have a God who desires to have a relationship with us. That's one of the neat things when you start to study other um, world religions, maybe in high school, but you can do it as an adult too, but how a lot of the other ancient Old Testament gods, how cruel, how evil they were. And people can take, you know, they can take a little bit of of beef with the Old Testament, the kind of God that he was in the old, you know, what they perceive as him being in the Old Testament, a God of wrath. But the other gods that other, you know, people groups had at that time, they were harsh, they were cruel. And God is loving. He desires a relationship with each one of you. So, Maybe consider having an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day. If Pete and I just set aside two hours, you know, at the end of the week, and we were just really going to try and get all of our communication in at that, you know, two hours, it would not go very well. I wouldn't feel like I know him any better. He probably wouldn't feel like he knows me. A lot of it would just be like, hey, can you take the kids here, and can you do this, and what about that bill? And it would be work, right? It'd just be all those things that we need to communicate that are work. But if he and I stay in contact throughout the day, whether texting or calling, if we try to make intentional moments before he, you know, leaves for work or I leave for the day or when we see each other at the end of the day, when we make those intentional little moments of connection, we feel closer to each other. And it's the same way with God. What if we kept an open conversation with God all day long where we were talking expressing maybe fears as we're driving or frustrations. And then we listened and we waited for him to respond to us because he's a God that responds to us. What if we wait and actually listen for what he has to say to us? You know, there's a promise if we choose to be in conversation with God, we choose to call out to him. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Every day I go through things. I'm like, Lord, what about this? Lord, what about this? It could be everything from raising kids to, you know, stuff at church, things with, you know, relationships, friendships, family, whatever. God wants to show us things that we don't know. But are we willing to listen? Now, here's the thing. As we grow in relationship with God, so the, one of the important things about reading the word of God is that you learn to discern his voice, his character, his nature. Um, But when you learn who he is and you start to hear the way he talks to you, God has a tone. Now, I think he has a little bit of a different tone with each of us. Sometimes God can be sarcastic with me. Um, You might prefer him to be a little bit more loving. (laughs) But I love it when he's sarcastic with me because it's like he's talking to me in my love language. But here's the thing. The more time I spend with him, I cannot help but be in awe of him. I can't help but adore him, which is why sometimes when people are like, this is dry, this is dry, this is dry, I'm like, wait, 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 you're checking off the lists, but you're not really experiencing God because if you did, you wouldn't be able to not be with him. Worship. Now, when we think of worship, we think of music and singing and what we did this morning. It's interesting, in Luke 4, 8, um, this is Jesus again, um, you know, quoting scripture at the devil. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
And I thought it was interesting. I was kind of trying to go through and find promises for if we do these things, if, we're, if we will be with God in these ways, what are the promises? And it was so funny because with worship, it's like you just, God just says worship. You shall worship is actually what that, the worship means is you will do this. So worship, and maybe you've heard this before, um, but it's to focus on something. It's to hone your eyes in on something, to focus on it, to adore it, to want to become like it as we gaze upon it. We worship sports, uh, you know, uh, sports people. That was what I was going to say, sports people. We worship sports people. We worship celebrities. We worship people we don't know on social media that have, like, perfect homes or maybe they're an expert in the, the hobby that we have. We worship people that we think are better than us. We worship not just people. We worship things like money or status, fame even. But this worship, this you shall worship, is not necessarily dancing. It's not necessarily like shouting or, I mean, that's, that's a response to God, right? This worship, though, it means to kiss the hand of a king in reverence. When God says you shall worship, it means kneeling, laying down, prostrate, paying homage to a king out of respect and reverence and awe. You shall worship. You shall acknowledge me as greater than you. You shall acknowledge that I am worthy of your worship and your praise. Our worship to God should invade every single area of our life. It should permeate it. It should saturate it. It should be like marinating. Our speech should be marinating in our worship to God. Our thoughts should be marinating in worship to God, bowing down to God. The way we talk to people, the way we interact with people as we're driving should be marinating in submission to God. We become what we behold, right? We become what we behold. If you look around, people around you, maybe your own self, our nation, we become what we behold. Now, worship is both a posture of our hearts that we choose, but it's an overflow of gratitude for what God has done for us. So, yes, it's a discipline. There are mornings, if I've had a night, weird night, you know, restless sleep and weird dreams, I get up in the morning and I start, I turn on worship. It could be a YouTube thing. It could be my playlist. And I just start singing loud, as loud as I can. And eventually, my heart posture changes from discipline, I know how to get out of this headspace, to delight. I can't help but end in delight. So worship, yes, it changes our hearts. But we have to remember that when we're submitted to God, we're singing to God, we're getting his thoughts, it changes atmospheres. It should change your heart, but it changes atmospheres too. To adore God, I have to know him. I don't have to know all of him, but I have to know a little bit about him to be able to, be able to worship him in adoration and awe. Now, I believe when we see God for who he is, we, we will so desire to be alone with him. This is awesome. Worshiping God in community, hearing the word of God in community, living together, that's awesome. But God 
wants us to get alone with him the way Jesus did, the way Jesus would go off from his disciples, go up onto a mountain, spend the, maybe the whole night in prayer, early morning in prayer. He would give, 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 pour out, and then withdraw to be alone with God. Mark 6.31 says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That sounds great. But how many of us really desire to be alone with God in solitude? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't used to like solitude, but whether it's, you know, having a lot of kids or the older I get, but I really enjoy an actual quiet time. <laughs> I enjoy getting away with God. And what that looks like at different seasons of our life, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. But you know the way that couples on their anniversary, they go for a romantic getaway? Or maybe you just are like, oh, we've just been in this really busy season and you go away. I believe God wants to have a romantic getaway with you. Don't be weirded out by that, okay? I believe he wants to be alone with you where you get to enjoy him and he gets to enjoy you. Where you remember, a lot of times people get away, right? To remember how much you love the person that does all those annoying things every single day that you kind of get irritated with. But you get away to get away from everyday life to remember how much you love each other. What keeps us from being alone with God? The other thing about being alone with God is um, you saw that every time Jesus did that, he was empowered to go do exactly what the Father was telling him to do. And so many times we are trying to live our lives the best we can. We're doing you know, good intentions, but we're not being empowered by the Spirit to do what God is asking us to do. And so we, we get weary. But that's okay. Jesus often got away um, to have alone time with God. Being set apart to God, is this not the fast that I choose in Isaiah 58, 6, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Now, fasting is abstaining from food, traditionally, or it's anything that you depend on. So I know some people will say, well, if you fast social media or, you know, uh, the news or a sport or a hobby you like or something like that, that's not really fasting. Um, now, in ancient Bible times, it was not eating food. It could be done individually or in a community. But they did it to grieve or to mourn. They did it when they were preparing to go to war. They did it at times of repentance when they were coming back to God, when they hadn't done what he had said. They did it along with prayer. And they did it as part of public worship. So this week he goes into fasting, and I just want to ask you, if you have not already started fasting, um, ask God how he wants you to fast. There are things to be found when we see that we cannot depend on whether it's food, whether it's social media. When we are able to pull things out of our lives, there is something that happens where we are set apart to God in a way where he clears things. It's like he cleans house so that we can live a more empowered life. So ask God, how do you want me to fast? You can ask how long, what, maybe it's what kind of foods or what kind of fast. But ask him, how do you want to be with me in this way? I believe God will give you guys really detailed things. 
I think we could use to have some chains broken, you know, some yokes broken right now. And fasting does that. Even if we're all doing different kinds of fasts, we're doing it together, there's unity in that, and it will break things. The other thing is um, being glad with God. Psalm 118, 24 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Do you guys know that song? This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Mm-hmm. Hit the high note. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, you know, maybe you got woken up as a kid. You had your parents doing that, like, this is the day. No. Um, you can choose to have a great day, right? You really can. The point of gladness, though, and rejoicing in the, in the day or, or rejoicing in what God has done is when we remember who God is, when we remember what he's done, we can't help but be glad. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have times in our lives where we're going through a mourning process, where we are grieving a loss of a person or a thing. So it can look like everything from having fun, being glad with God, could be having fun with God. I mean, I'm sorry, but Christians aren't really known for, like, having fun with God. They're not. That's not one of our, like, people in the world are like, oh, those Christians. I mean, I don't want to, like, live like they live, but they just have so much fun. And I wish I could, you know, follow Jesus. It could look like having joy, not necessarily a smile on your face, like, God is good. He's faithful. But joy through really hard things because you are remembering what God has already done for you, and you believe he'll do it again. It could be setting aside specific times in your life to celebrate the goodness of God, inviting friends over. If you got a new job or a new promotion, um, you get a house in a really miraculous way, tell some people about it. Tell people how good God is. If you have kids or grandkids or you're around children or the elderly, whoever you're around, Tell people how good God is. It could be as simple as you're in the car with your kids and you say, man, you know what God told me today in my prayer time when I was having a conversation, a back and forth, he told me he loved me. He said he sees me as good. Do you know that? God loves you and he sees you as good. It could be that simple or it could be elaborate celebrations. In my my research, I found um, Deuteronomy 14 God is actually talking about tithing because in the Old Testament, he would command these feasts and these festivals where there was like dancing. And he told people, bring your tithe and I want you to eat it and enjoy it in my presence. Buy really good stuff with your tithe and eat it and drink it in my presence. Now make sure you include the foreigner and the stranger and the sick, but do this in my presence. Have a good time. Celebrate. In my presence, we should be known as a people that celebrate the goodness of God. You know, like the woman at the well where Jesus tells her about her life and how, you know, she's had a rough life. And he gives a word of knowledge or several to her. And at first she's standoffish and she's skeptical, but he wins her over. And she runs back to her village and she says, Come and see. Come and see. You've got you've to see this man. You've got to hear from this man. This is what he told me. This is what he's done for me. He could not have known these things unless he was God. Come and see. 
And I wish as Christians we had a little bit more of that in us. Come and see. Not come and, it doesn't have to mean come to my church. It could just mean come and see. Let, can I talk to you about how good God has been? But maybe we need to rehearse it ourselves first. Let's practice that. Let's rehearse the things that God has done for us. And then let's invite others. Come and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He also talks about Sabbath, but don't have time for that. Sabbath is a commandment. It's a sign. It's a gift and a trust exercise all in one. You'll learn more about it in the book. You know, Dallas Willard says in The Spirit of the Disciplines that the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. So we can't do what Jesus is calling us to do unless we are with him. Unless we're making this consistent in our life, these, these habits, these practices. You know, everything that we do that would be like Jesus is an overflow of a surrendered life. It's an overflow. You know, our lack of being with him is the source of so much of our anger and our fear and our despair. It's the reason why so many of us don't see the supernatural power of God in our lives, and we long for it. But we have such a hard time being with him. If we knew how much he wanted to be with us, we would run. We would run to the word. We would run to worship. We would, we would do what, fa fasting, you want me to fast, I'll do it. You want me to rehearse and celebrate, I'll do it. God, I would do it all for you. So the Spirit of God is, is, is here for you today. And I know sometimes with being with God, we can feel like, man, why would God want to be with me? Well, I'm not worthy. I haven't done the checklist. I've only checked off one of the seven or, or none. I haven't talked to God in five years. God wants to be with you today. And the Spirit of God is here for you today to be with you and to empower you.